I'm Lemuel Gonzalez, Repentant Sinner, and along with Amity Armstrong, your heavenly host, I invite you to find a place in the pew for today's painless Sunday school lesson, Without Works. Thank you so much for returning. In this week's episode, we are going to learn about the fine line between proselytizing and propaganda in this week's The More You Know. But first, we're looking for a little good news in our segment, Cannon Fodder. I'm going to read you some quotes, and you tell me your opinions about the person who wrote these quotes. Okay. My interpretation can only be as inerrant as I am. That's a good thing to keep in mind. Now, this is a person talking about the Bible. Okay. All as right? errant? Inerrant. Inerrant. That means without error. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. Or, imagine if every church became a place where everyone is safe, but no one is comfortable. Imagine if a church became a place where we told one another the truth. We might just create sanctuary. What do okay. You think? Well, I don't think that everyone being safe and no one being comfortable are necessarily hand in hand. Well, here she's talking about the idea that we don't become complacent in the way that we react in a church. It doesn't become a safe space for kind of intellectual laziness, but it becomes a place where ideas are produced oh, okay. where people are accepted. I see what you're saying. I'm just comfortable in a position like that, so I guess... <laughs> Well, here's a good one. As a Christian, my highest calling is not motherhood. My highest calling is to follow Christ. Well, that's interesting. So this is a woman. Mm-hmm. Clearly, we're talking, we're, we're listening to a woman speak, or a, a possible mother, uh, who seems to know of her own failings and understand that a human is as a human does. So the very last one I'll read to you. I explained that when our gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender friends aren't welcome at the table, then we don't feel welcome either. And that not every young adult gets married or has children, so we need to stop building our churches around categories and start building them around people. Hey, sounds like a millennial. Okay, so this (laughs) is Rachel Held Evans, was born in 1981. She was born in Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, there's so many syllables to that word. Right. There's only three. <laughs> Birmingham. But there's, okay, well, maybe there's more letters than syllables. Yes. And her family moved to Dayton, Tennessee, where her father took an administrative position at Bryan College. She attended high school. She went on to get a Bachelor of Arts in English Literature. In 2004, she returned to Dayton, where she worked full-time for the Herald News, a local paper. In 2007, she won an award for Best Personal Humor column from the Tennessee uh, Press Association. And she wrote freelance articles, then moved into writing books. Two very interesting books. The first one was called Evolving in Monkey Town. And that's because she Dayton was where the Scopes Monkey Trials were held. Okay. Um, so she wrote about coming to terms with science, having a faith-based background, and a faith-based life. So that's... Yeah, we haven't talked about that. She was raised in the church? No, she was raised in the church. Okay. And she was a committed Christian. Okay. So what kind of Christian? What well, flavor? She eventually became an Episcopalian. Hey, we know them. Episcopalians are doing pretty good <laughs> in our program. So what happens is that she wrote this book Evolving Mon- Monkey Town and it talks about religious certainty and the inclusion of secular viewpoints, particularly scientific viewpoints. Okay. And that book got a lot of recognition. She eventually changed the name because people 
weren't quite getting the reference to Monkey Town who didn't, you know, understand about the, the monkey trials, rather. And so that book came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. So she was only 27? Yeah, I guess so. And then she wrote a second book, A Year of Biblical Womanhood, How a Liberated Woman Found Herself Sitting on Her Roof, Covering Her Head, and Calling Her Husband Master. And that was published in 2012. And what she did is that she spent an entire year living a biblical life, literally, which would be a lot of the Old Testament references, I imagine. Oh, good. They turned that into a terrible sitcom when a dude did it. As a modern, intelligent woman who considers herself a feminist, this was just a very strange kind of change for her. Right. No, but it was right. also pointing out the fallacy of, fo- of following some parts of the Bible literally Right. in the modern world. But garnered national media attention, and she appeared on the Today Show talking about it. She re-released Evolving in Monkey Town with the new title Faith Unraveled, so that it was open to a large audience who didn't kind of get the date in reference. That makes sense. And then she wrote some, like, a very interesting thing. She kept a regular blog about faith and faith matters. She contributed to several newspapers. She contributed uh, on the subject of faith in the modern world. And then she really kind of stirred some controversy taking a pro-life stance. Now, in 2015, she wrote a column in the Washington Post, Want Millennials Back in the Pews? Stop Trying to Make Church Cool. The column she self-identified as a millennial and expressed the belief that while churches in the United States are attempting to get more millennials in church, their approach is wrong because they focus primarily on stylistic aspects, which she believed are not the key to drawing millennials back to God in a lasting and meaningful way. Young people don't simply want a better show. Okay. All right. So she made a lot of inroads, and she was really respected despite her youth in a community that was trying to bring people into the church, but in an honest way, not a way that said, we're hiding these details from you. We're, you know, there's a a kind of feeling that you can convert now and we'll get to the, the details that are bothering you later. This isn't what she did. I followed her on Facebook and read some of her blogs, which were really insightful and deep, and about the issues that people have reconciling their faith with trying to make it expansive for everybody. Now, uh, she was an Episcopalian. She attended St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Cleveland, Tennessee. Uh, She was married, starting a family, and then she passed away this April. In a, after a, a reaction to an allergic reaction to a medication for an infection. Wow. Uh, and this, uh, they actually, she was in a medically induced coma since April 4th, and then she oh, was... Oh, no, that's my birthday. Yeah. And she died on May 4th. Uh, so one of the things that she did that was really important was reaching out and being recognized both by religious and secular people. One of the things that she did that was important to me and why I think that she should be included for sainthood, is that she really tried to reconcile and build a bridge between the secular and the Christian world. And she was also reaching out to millennials in particular through regarding them as intelligent people who had opinions and had ideas and had legitimate concerns and legitimate voice. This isn't something that a lot of times older Christians will do. They'll try to sort of condescend because they don't agree with a lot of the sort of values or even ideas or the way that millennials present themselves. This is a woman who saw something different and wanted to make it more inclusive. So her death is an extra tragedy because she was just really getting started. She was beginning to pick up momentum. 
her ideas were beginning to grab hold in, in public's uh, life. So, yeah, I remember taking this news very hard because I was following her on Facebook and just getting this very abrupt, she's in the hospital, wow. and the, followed by an equally abrupt, she's not recovering. So she died at the age of 37. Right. With no children? Not as far as I understand, no. Wow. Um, so I guess she was raised, I'm, I'm from what I'm looking here, mm-hmm. she was raised evangelical, but then no longer, by the end of her life, uh, identified as such. Right. Uh, instead, she she identified as Episcopalian, as we said. But yeah, that's really. It's a tragic story. A shame. It's really, un- it was really unexpected. Yeah. Uh, it. Uh, you don't. You know, yeah. you take this medication to get over being sick, not to put you in a coma and kill you. Like, right. That's terrible. But the sad part is, again, her public voice was just beginning. Yeah. And it, she was getting that recognition, making appearances on the Today Show, being you know reprinted in the Washington Post. She was really getting up the steam to become kind of well a voice, a voice of reconciliation. And what happens is that she very abruptly disappears. In preparing for today's episode, it struck me how much good she had ahead of her, and how much she'd already done. And the fact that she got a very sympathetic write up in the Atlantic, which is never very yeah. Uh, Atlantic used to be headed by uh, Christopher Hitchens. Well, I was going to say uh-huh. I wasn't going to name drop him. I was uh-huh. just going to say an avowed atheist. Right, and so a lot of their coverage and anti-theist, I would even say. Right, a lot of their coverage is not particularly friendly towards religion. But even there, she got a very good write-up because of what she was doing and what she was attempting to do in furthering sort of reconciliation between the secular world and faith. I feel that her her death was really a tragedy, given what she had the what she was striving toward and what she had the ability to do, given her public uh, voice. This is the first cannon fodder inductee uh-huh. that who's actually passed, who could actually be canonized. Right. Uh, and that we will probably be revisiting some of the things that she said yes. in future episodes, so she may be a recurring uh, fixture on the show. Who would you nominate for sainthood? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat. Okay. And I'm not nominating one person. I'm sort of nominating a group of people and an idea. Uh, and this is a group that I first saw in one of those good news websites when you're looking for good news because all of the actual news is too bad to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I found them there. They are called BACA International. That's Bikers Against Child Abuse. Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, if you want to call yourself anything against child abuse, I'm probably down. Uh, what I read was uh, in the context of a story where when a child was forced to go to court to testify against their abuser, they were accompanied by mean-looking bikers on their side to keep them from getting scared or mm. intimidated by those abusers. And so I've looked into this uh, group, and it was started by a social worker who's also a biker. They are currently a nonprofit organization, not a motorcycle club. 
mm-hmm. per se, but they do have one of those cool motorcycle patches and uh, members all over the world. And they have various leather levels of intervention. They get referrals via the court system. And some of that intervention could be they they meet with the child in question and the child's family. Usually two, a, a pair, a female and a male, will meet with the child so right. that if the child was uh, abused by either one of those, that they get a good at you know, a, a sort of a safe haven right. in the pair. And they're given the phone numbers of several people in local chapters as well. If they have any concerns or questions uh, or want to talk, they are given those numbers to call for help. They, uh, the bikers themselves will make a presence known around the child's home uh, that they are sort of being protected which lends the child to hear those bikes outside and know that they're being watched and mm. sort of like they have a well, guard. that happen, the rubbing up of the bike actually becomes right. a, a noise of comfort right. rather than And it puts out to anybody, if the, if the child's, pr- presumably we're talking about um, the child whose abuser is outside of the home, mm-hmm. puts those people on notice that you don't come here right. and you don't, these are protected kids. Uh, and they will go to court appearances where, unfortunately, children, very young children often are made to testify against the adults who have harmed them with those adults in the room often, which mm. has is its own issues. Right. But they will often stand, if possible, between the child and those abusers so the kids don't have to see them mm. or at least back them up so that they know they've got these big, bad-looking dudes and ladies often mm-hmm. at their disposal, and they don't have to worry about any sort of retribution or attack there at the courtroom or afterwards. And I am a fan of this group mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons, but mostly I sort of take them as a symbol of using what you have or what you are to do good in the world. So you could be a biker and use that to nefarious ends, or you could be a biker and really help children who have been... Well, children who are vulnerable. Vulnerable, yes, vulnerable children. They're vulnerable and they are part of um, the damage done to children by their abusers is a feeling of intimidation a sort of threat, because when you're a child, everyone's much bigger than you. So the idea of having someone who has this, or rather a person who has the costume and the reputation and the bearing actually would mean a lot to them, I think. So they have a a um, creed, mm-hmm. which we've talked about before. What a creed what is. Our, what yeah. creeds are. Uh, adapted from something called the Fellowship of the Unashamed. Mm. And the last line, or the last uh, paragraph I think is particularly important uh, or uh, apropos in this Uh setting, which is I won't give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up and showed up for all wounded children. Uh I must go until I drop, ride until I give out and work until he stops me. 
and when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me, for he will see my backup back patch and know that I am one of his. I am a member of Bikers Against Child Abuse, and this is my creed. Fuck people who hurt children, and yay for people who protect them. So mm. that's my group. There have been some internal problems, mm. uh, which I am going to err on the side of they got dealt with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... I hope that that won't tarnish the whole, the group as a whole because I think, as a whole, what they're doing is right. excellent work. They're so, fighting the good fight. Yes. So that is my group for this week. Good. And that's cannon fodder. Next up this week, we are going to look at a man who looked to new mediums to proselytize and ended up firmly in the land of propaganda. We discuss Jack Chick and his eponymous Chick Tracts on this week's The More You Know. Chick Tracts. Jack T. Chick was born in 1924 in Los Angeles, and he wanted to be an actor. He got a two-year scholarship to the Pasadena Playhouse. Do you know what that is? I don't. Pasadena Playhouse is a group of actors that had a lot of famous graduates. Charles Bronson, Angela Bassett, Raymond Byrd, Jane Hackman, Dustin Hoffman. They all came out of here. So he was a fairly serious actor. I agree with that and all of the people that you listed except Charles Bronson, so I'm confused. But that's fine. I don't know him very much and I am not going to... Disparage the great Charles Bronson. I will not. Do not. So he must have been a fairly good actor to be in that particular repertory company, right? In that group of performers, they had a lot of... Tyrone Power was a graduate from that school. But every once in a while, you get a dud. Well, I think that he was doing this to overcompensate for his shyness, because that became a quality later on. Mm, Introversion or or shyness? He said shyness, but I don't know if in 1924, coming from that generation, he had language for it. That's true. So he was drafted in 1943. He served in the Pacific Theater. And then he returned to the Pasadena Playhouse after he had seen some action actually. And then he met his future wife, who was Canadian. 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 Lola Lynn Priddle. And she had a very strict religious background and very religious parents, and she introduced him to a revival program on the radio. And that brought his conversion. So he stopped acting. He'd worked as an illustrator doing a one-panel cartoon for about two years. And he wanted to, because of this new conversion, he had evangelical fervor, but he was entirely too shy to talk to people. Oh, yeah, that would cause a problem. So he'd heard about how the Communist Party the uh, in China had dropped leaflets with illustrated cartoons on them, right? Right. Propaganda, they call that. And that that worked really well with changing the tide of public sentiment. And so he thought a similar thing could be done as an evangelical tool, a one-page or two-page track, although he thought it was going to be more like a comic book. So he printed these little tracks, right? He uh, printed the the first one in 1960 on his own dime uh, while he was working at an avionics firm. And he started uh, Chick Publications in 1970. Between 1960 and 1970, he had published enough of these and distributed enough that he could actually set himself up in a career, hiring an artist to work with him now. So his distribution of these was to churches, I would assume? That was to churches, also to everywhere. The people who are buying them mm-hmm. in bulk, I would assume, mm-hmm. buy them, or would they just put in orders and get them for free? No, you would pay ten cents a piece. Okay, thank you. That's and right. you could pick them up individually, 
or you could, for $2.50 or something, get a whole pack full of them. And, um, yes, like the ones you're holding in your hands. In my hands. So he enjoyed a great deal of success with this. Uh, he'd hired an artist, Fred Carter, to work with him. They moved into full-size comic books featuring... So this isn't uh, all of his art. No, no. But it's not credited to another... It went uncredited for a very long time. Okay. Um, they just credited his, his scripts. There is some thought that maybe he didn't write all of them, that it was sort of a house name. He printed, I mean, they printed, they claim, by, in the, their 50 years of business, Chick Publications, 800 million tracks. How many different ones? Uh, they did 250 titles, and they were distributed in 100 languages. Wow, that's incredible. So he had a huge output, and there were even, between uh, Chick and Fred Carter, who did a lot more elaborate art, his stuff was in the comic books that Chick published, The Crusaders, which were about a a uh, a white Green Beret and a black um, former militant who get together to solve crimes with Jesus' help. Oh yeah, and overcome racism in the bit in the bargain. Right, but uh, yeah, despite the fact that his message was really strident and offensive to people, uh, he was respected and admired even by secular artists like Daniel Close and Robert Crumb which was surprising to me that they actually would go out to religious bookstores to buy his stuff, considering the kind of materials they publish. Right. Uh, so he did really well. He was kind of a pillar of the evangelical community um, in terms of his attacks on homosexuality, his attacks on evolution, his attacks on feminism. He Great. really pushed that, that ideology. And his downfall was associating with uh, a Spanish confidence man and conspiracy theorist named Alberto Rivera. Hold up real quick. I'm going to, for the listeners, a confidence man is a con man. Okay. All I, right. <laughs> I don't think, I think I've heard that twice and it was in con man movies. All right. Well, confidence trickster is what they used to be called. Confidence uh, trickster. Mm. I love it so much. <laughs> and so Alberto Rivera was from um, the Canary Islands. He had claimed to have a long background in, uh, he, he was a Jesuit priest. He'd learned all sorts of strange um conspiracies that moved in the church that were moved by the Jesuits. So he is a man who has said, I was a priest and I learned the Catholic Church's secrets. Yes. He was never a priest that did well, not learn the Catholic Church's There's a great deal of doubt in his credentials and a great deal of doubt in his story, and he had a criminal record in Spain. Fun. Once Chick got together with him, he uh, well, he pulled a really familiar trick, um, Mr. Rivero did, which is to tell people that the Catholic Church was now manipulating his enemies to bring false charges against him, and et cetera, et cetera, No, of course. And the Catholic Church is very powerful, so I bet if you do get on their bad right, side, bad that. things could happen. But his happen. theories were so bonkers. He yes. claimed that the Catholic Church was responsible for communism, Islam, Freemasonry, the Jonestown Massacre, the assassination of Lincoln, and Catholic President John F. Kennedy. And also, the fact that I was itchy yesterday, and the sneeze I'm going to have in two minutes. Right. <laughs> they were responsible for everything. And um, it's like they're God or right. something. <laughs> so that the so that even uh, mainstream evangelicals began to pull away from him because it was just absurd. And was he putting this in tracts? Right, was he was he putting, putting this in tracts. As a matter of fact, he went so far as to really offend Catholics by representing, uh, doing a tract against uh, the Catholic version of the Eucharist, calling it the poison cracker or the poison cookie. Hey, y'all, we've talked about the Eucharist before, right. and you don't do that. Right. This is a very sacred thing to all Christians. So when he was doing things like this, 
Um, or uh, there was another track he put out, Why is Mary Crying, where the Virgin Mary explains to you why she shouldn't be worshipped or revered or venerated. Because she's a lady, and anyone right. with lady parts, but nope. Yeah, that kind of led to his downfall, really, the lack of popularity. He was still popular among some groups of people. But Shocking, he began we have to, a president who is right. popular among some groups of people, too. And I feel like it might be... Similar groups. The Southern Poverty Law Center declared chick publications a hate group. Wow, so I'm holding hate literature, hate propaganda in my hand right now. There are countries that have banned his work. Can't wait to burn it. Right. (laughs) There are countries that have banned the distribution of his work. Um, And that sort of encourages the people who really want to see themselves as fighting against the the horrible uh, tides of secularism in the world. Um, He died uh, not too long ago, actually. No, I guess he did. I mean, 2016. Right. So that's not very long ago. He was born in 24. So yeah. he was 92 years old at the mm-hmm. at, at the date of his death. All right. He outlived his first wife. He married a second time. Uh, my personal experience of this yes. is that he founded Jack uh, or Chick Publications in the seven, 1970. And I hey, was... you were basically founded in 1970. Right. <laughs> I was around when it really were, they were everywhere. And he had a really kind of almost a business plan for bringing souls to Christ, as he would think of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would he had these books that you could get on salvation tools, or how to lead people to Christ, how to have intros into conversation. Um, he talked about he gave directions for how to leave tracks in phone booths mm-hmm. and in buses and in public places because people are inclined to just pick them up out of boredom and read yes. them. Our park benches, things like that, they were littering everywhere. When I went to Manzini Elementary School, which is across the street, they actually had, and I don't know how this worked, a religious class for people. And this is a secular school, elementary school, uh, religious education. In California. Right, where kids were allowed to, for an hour, go for religious education class, and they were given Jack T. Chick materials to read. Wow. Um, No. Children shouldn't have what I have in my hand. There was um, some of the more offensive ones on top of the anti-Catholic ones, which were, again, that's when even my mom, and you know, who can be kind of extreme at times, and some of the members of my family really pulled away when he went so stridently anti-Catholic. Yeah. Like, what is his deal? What's what, going on? Yeah. You know, Muhammad was a creation of the Catholic Church to kill Jews. That basically was one of his ideas. Uh, I... <laughs> yeah, I know. And so... Um, and the Jesuits have manipulated everything, including Jack the Ripper, and just like all sorts of just really weird. Uh, I'm not going to say that. I was going to so, say the Catholics are the Jews of. <laughs> right. So yeah, um, and the the worst part is that a lot of people were influenced by those ideas, and fundamentalism or evangelicalism still has really staunchly anti-Catholic um, ideas to this day. A lot of it based on people who because grew up reading this material. Interesting. But one of his comic strips, The Gay Blade, was just horrible. Oh, no. Uh, it was, is is HIV ascribed to... HIV, the spread of the... HIV is ascribed to the Catholic Church. Oh, um, not gayness? Oh, and gayness. Oh, But both, it was both. encouraged. But, like, it's... Right. Is that like one of? Is it one of those? Oh, there's a very strange. AIDS is God's right. weapon against gay no, people. Th- it was or, also no. the Jesuits were moving it along. I believe it was through Catholic hospitals. It was a very. It, there That's were wild. There were really, and the thing is, some of the early material was just 
typical fire and brimstone evangelical stuff. Right. And then later on, he just goes off the deep end. And this was, I think, about about the 80s when he really started um, going into these bizarre theories. Uh, and that's when he began to lose popularity among the mainstream. Wow. But for a very long time, he had a place. He's offended a lot of people. Obviously, the the, the, car, the uh, track, The Gay Blade, features a lot of effeminate men wiggling their hips and bent wrists oh, and man. showing how they corrupt youth. Oh, um, man. He ties pedophilia and homosexuality together, of course. Of course he does, because um, that's the easiest right. thing to There's do. There's a lot of, like, indulging in in ethnic stereotypes. Awesome. Um, but not necessarily black and white, but stereotypes of Indian people for some reason. There was a, a lot of that in his work, too, in his depiction of people from other cultures. But, um, yeah, so the reason why I, this is a, uh, we're bringing this up is that I was cleaning up outside some of the uh, materials that my mom had thrown out, and I found some old Jack Chick tracks. And I thought it would be interesting for you as a secular person to get an idea about the evangelical mindset and the kind of thing that formed a lot of people who are my age and the way that if I had stayed in that mentality that we would have informed our children. So what do you have in your hand there that you're, you're showing me? Okay, so I have three uh-huh. what I would call comic books. Right. They're pretty lengthy. They're all the same size. Mm-hmm. They're um, how would you? How many pages would you say they I'm are? I'm gonna count actually. Uh-huh. Twenty pages and mm-hmm. a cover. Okay. Um, they have a big uh, title on the front, all of them, but the illustration and styling is different mm-hmm. uh, for all of them. They have basically the same backs, which is like a. Uh, Chick Publication Square, giving mm-hmm. the details of the company. Send $10 plus $2 shipping for a sample assortment and price list. I won't. And then the following countries can obtain the same from a, a number of different subsidiaries down here in various places. Uh, Germany, uh, Canada, Ontario, Canada, Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, Wellington, New Zealand, and uh, Australia. So there's also one in England. These are different, a little bit different, a little bit different, but those are the, the places. And there's a place to stamp. There's a compliment of about the size of a gift tag on mm-hmm. the back, mm-hmm. and one of them has a stamp on it, and it's a New Beginnings Mission right. uh, in San Leandro. The other two do not have that mm-hmm. stamp, but it looks like you could just stamp the name of right. your congregation and that, or So the idea was, again, that was part of his go here evangelical business plan, was basically to get people to go to their local right. church. The last page is the same, basically, on all three mm. of these. Uh, the I will say that the art in them is mm-hmm. not bad. <laughs> right, which is probably what why there were. And there are, there are two different or three in. different styles um, uh-huh. of, of these in the three different ones that I got. So one of them is called the letter. It's the worst. They're all why bad. Is it the worst. But this one is the worst. This one is. I think this is a self hate one. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it's about a woman who is Christian, gives to her church and everything, but tells off a proselytizer. Mm-hmm. I hate those people, and you know, I I I choose to live, let people see the way that I live, and that's mm-hmm. how I lead it, lead in Christ. And then she gets a letter that smells of sulfur from her friend Helen, who's basically like, if you had just told me about Jesus. Uh, I wouldn't be burning in hell right now, but I'm burning in hell right now. And then she's like, on Monday night, I'm going to call Helen and we're going to have a conversation. I'm a leader to so Jesus. So she thought this was a dream that she was having. She thought she was... this was a dream, even though the letter is mm-hmm. actually in her hand and does smell like sulfur. And then uh, she says, you know, is is your friend... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Mildred is the name of the horrible woman in the mo- mm-hmm. in the thing and Francis is her, is her friend. And of course, Francis was killed on Saturday night in a car accident and now is burning for all eternity because she did not speak Jesus into the heart of Francis and now Francis is going to burn in hell forever even though she was a grown ass woman who could have picked up a Bible anytime she wanted Uh, also that seems real vindictive and terrible there's also the assignment. This might be my favorite one. I, that one I liked as a kid, to be this honest. This one might be my favorite one. So we've got a Charles Bishop. Uh, we, we're, we're up in the heaven with mm-hmm. uh, some angels. Right. Very white Very angels, white just angels. the whitest, chiselest jaws. <laughs> yes, angels. Charles Bishop, he's going to die on November 22nd at 3.10 a.m. with a massive coronary. Uh-huh. He is not currently saved. How can we get this man saved? <laughs> right. There are two options. That's the assignment of the title. The assignment. There are two options. His um, underling and the, a friend, a 16-year-old friend of his daughter. And then we see demons. This is Charles Bishop. He's going to die upcoming. How are... Uh, so it's like a kid film. There's these two groups. With right? us, right. right. It's, it's a spy versus spy. Okay. And how do we keep him from being <laughs> saved? He's currently not saved. How do we keep him from being saved before Monday mm. when he has a giant-ass heart attack? Okay, it could be two people. could be his underling. could be this girl. She's dangerous. we got to look out for her. So uh, make uh, his underling's wife a ter- terrible harpy who says, if you mention Jesus to your boss one time, I will leave you because you will not put my comfort in jeopardy. Uh and so he is weak and does not talk to his boss about Jesus, but she does get to go. Meanwhile, we have a oh, we also have a an ins- a life insurance salesman who's gonna like Jesus block this teenager from getting right. to talk to Charles Bishop, but he gets a flat tire, so he's taken out of the thing. Do the so, angels cause a flat tire? Uh, they do. Yes, okay. they do. Yes, I seem to remember that. They trip a dude. Oh. So originally the demons are going to send a, a handsome man, and I'm going to say man, that is a grown-ass man talking to that 16-year-old girl, uh-huh. uh, in, and she's going to be distracted by love for two and a right. half weeks. But then an angel trips another guy and has him sort of knock <laughs> into the handsome so an guy. An angel trips him. An angel trips him. That's how, that's how, oops, sorry. And then his name... Is Buzz Adams Buzz with one B or one Z, which has uh, never happened in the history of the world. And in the history of buzzes, this is never he, happened. Uh, he goes ballistic on this dude that tripped and fell into him, and then the girl says, "He's a bully." And then we've got a demon next to it. He blew it. Okay, mm. so then that's when they get. They're like, "Hey, 
hey, uh, make an appointment at the time that this girl's going to be in his house and then he can't talk to her. But then, yeah, there's a flat tire. We actually... There's a lot of plot to this one. We do. There is. There's a lot. There's no indication that the angels made the flat tire. Mm -hmm. Okay. But But they do trip people. They did trip somebody. (laughs) But, uh, and then, and then Kathy goes to see her, her good buddy. And then, um, she says, Kathy, is that a Bible you're carrying? And she says, yes, Mr. Bishop, I want to share something with Sandy. And then he says, well, if it's interesting, tell me about it. Come on in, share it with me. Never in the history of ever uh, has this Do you happened. really want... I don't know. That feels uncomfortable to me, a 16-year-old girl having it a does. conversation with a girl. Oh, with... you were going to tell my daughter something? Well, previously he had asked his underling if he was praying over his lunch. Mm-hmm. And his response is, no, I don't have time for religion. And he goes, oh, I just thought it was a nice thing. So right. I was just so going to ask you about he's it. He's religion curious. He's religious curious. He <laughs> is definitely religion curious. And meanwhile... Um, oh... We've got the car salesman out, and he's like, I've, I've got to call him. Mm-hmm. And he finds a payphone, but this old lady is talking on the payphone about, uh, so this is what I told her. My arthritis first started in 1932. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, right. and then he can't get on the phone, and so Kathy is able to right. tell all of the good news, apparently, right. to Mr. Bishop. Um, and he says... I know that you are right. This is what I need. I'll make my decision tonight. And she says, whatever you do, Mr. Bishop, please don't hold off. And then he thinks, if I did give my life to Christ, I'd lose my friends. No, I think I'll wait a few years. There's plenty of time. And then, of course, massive coronary, and he dies. And he goes to hell. And he goes, yes. He, well, burning, burning hell. It was a, The demons are standing over him. And he says, it was a close call, but we got him. And then it says, the final line is, Mr. Bishop was lost for all eternity, but you don't have to be. The best thing about these is the last page, which is, it's a, hi, I'm God, do you like me? Check yes or no. (laughs) That's legitimately what's here. So it starts with, Jesus said, I am the way, the Uh truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, Uh John 14, 6. Nobody else can save you. Trust Jesus today. And then there is a four-part list. One, admit you are a sinner. I'm a sinner. Two, be willing to turn from sin. Repent. Three, believe that Jesus Christ died for you, was turned and or was buried and rose from the dead. So these are all things that we talked about previously mm-hmm. in the What is a Christian episode. Right. These are Nicene Creed. Those are all legitimate We're things here. for Christians, yes. Four. Through prayer, invite Jesus into your life and be, to become your personal savior. Now, that's not that's the, not in the... Well, it's no, no. It doesn't have to be accepted that way. That's the thing. It made it... They're very much born-again Christians. You have an experience, and this is what makes you a Christian. Right. Then there's a what to pray, which I'm mm. not going to read because I don't know what will happen if I say the magic words. Well, it's not that. You're just being respectful of it. And then... On the, so that's on one column. Mm. On the second column is, did you accept Jesus Christ as your personal saver? A checkbox with yes, a checkbox with no, and the date underneath it. That's God saying, I'm, <laughs> do you like me? Check yes or no. And then if your answer was yes, this is just the beginning of a wonderful new life with Christ. Now read your Bible every day to get to know Christ better. Talk to God in prayer every day. Be baptized, worship, fellowship, and serve with other Christians as a 
in a church where Christ is preached and the Bible is the final authority. And tell that's others about Christ. Talked about, right. And tell others about Christ. So that's in the back. That's the last mm. page of all of these. So in this one, there is no scripture mm-hmm. in the actual tract itself. There is a, a thing, thus saith the Lord. So there is scripture. Oh, there is scripture written into like little um, pieces of mm-hmm. the images, right. like on in the comics. But then in the third one, in this was your life where a dude dies and is like, this is all, oh, a dude dies, uh-huh. and then the, this one has a lot of scripture written into it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that might have been one of the earlier ones where he hadn't refined, like had he refined had the style. Refined the because style, which was one of them a lot breezier. has like asterisks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here we go. It's the assignment one. Mm-hmm. has asterisks where it'll say, where she's telling him mm. this is what the Bible says, and then there's a little asterisk, right. and then it tells you what, what, the, the, Bible, yeah, right. what, what, what the actual uh, verse and chapter mm. are. And um, this one has some, but this one has a lot of scripture in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the bottom of almost every page has a chunk of scripture in, mm. in it. Um, but it's a guy who dies, and he's like, I didn't need God in life, and I don't need him in death. And then he is, you know, brought up to the book of life where they watch him his whole life, apparently, on a movie screen. And he's like, oh, no, I was a baby and playing with a toy. And then I told a dirty joke. And then I spied on a lady, but nobody saw me. And then all of this other stuff. And there's a lot of writing in here. and Oh, a lot of dates. Hater of God, whoremonger, whisperer, theft, lies, disobedience, parent. False accusers, prize, unmerciful, backbiter, deceit, hypocrisy. And then he's in the middle, nude, sweating. He's like, you know, it's only his chest up. Mm-hmm. And he says, why didn't someone warn me about all of this? Now, now could you read that list of sins again? The, the horrible, horrible sins that sent okay. him to hell. Theft, hater of God, whisperer, whoremonger, lies, disobedient to parents, pride, False accuser, unmerciful, backbiter, deceit, and hypocrisy. So those last five, let's say, do you think those are things that should send you to hell? Now, of course, hell is a construct that you don't believe in anyhow, but do you think if you had that that would be like, okay, that means you spend all of the rest of eternity in that burning place full of, you know what creepy is about this? Here's what I think deserves Uh hell. What? Harm the children. Yes, do you agree with Jesus? <laughs> My distaste for a rapist mm-hmm. or a serial killer is strong. I still don't know if that rises to an eternity of anguish. Mm-hmm. Because I don't... An eternity is a fucking long time. Right. I'm kind of a fan of the idea, like the Catholic idea mm. of limbo, like a prison. <laughs> like right. you can get tortured for X amount of time and then you can go on into right. whatever afterlife it is. Bigger fan of you, now you're a snail and I'm going to smush you. I, I like a, I like a karmic. Um... But I mean, when you look at the list of things. That... Yeah, no. As much as hypocrisy is my mm-hmm. biggest pet peeve in adults, I right. hate it. But once again. We're talking about condemning a person to eternal torture. Right. Very few things on the list that deserve that, frankly. 
Yeah, very and few so things. When I look at that, they're they're very. The, I I would actually uh, take harm of a child, specifically sexual mm-hmm, harm, right? But really, any. And I'm not talking about a spanking. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about. No, you're saying sexual. I'm talking about physical significant violence, physical or sexual violence to a child or anyone else who is unable to protect themselves. Right. So that includes anyone who, I don't know, impregnates someone who's in a coma. Right. See, when I looked at the assignment, it affected me as a kid because the devil in there looked like kind of walking tombstones. They are very, they're scary. They're, they're ghoulish. They've got like the those string mouths yeah. where like they don't quite separate, mm-hmm. like there's goo. It's a, it's a real... Um, his the artist both here and in and I'll find I'll find some of the, I'm sure we'll turn up some of the other books when we're in the house, uh, here uh, from my mom's old library. Mm-hmm. Their depictions of hell are absolutely terrifying and creepy and horrible, and so that was enough to give me nightmares when I was a kid. I think the assignment was one that when I was little I found to be terribly funny because you know the angels tripping people and a lot of, as you're as you're reading them now I'm like oh yeah I remember that. Yeah. There was one that I was having a dinner with a friend recently, and I was talking about how we were going to cover the subject. And there is an, I think it was called Somebody Goofed. And there's a young blonde kid, you know, typically, like one of his characters in a striped shirt. And these are black and white, but you All can right. tell what they're drawing. And he's he wants to learn more about Jesus, but he has a friend very much like Buzz. I, I think, I forget what the name of that guy was. But same sort of character, dark hair with a cravat or something yes. really sophisticated, who's constantly telling him, you don't need to read the Bible, you don't need to do that, you don't, let's go drinking, let's go looking at girls, whatever. There's a lot of that, mm. like the presumption that if you mention Jesus, right. you're going to be a pariah. Right. Which, I, I have not found that to be the case no. in the world. But so... The, that's the story that they go along, they go along, and then at the end of the story, there's a car crash, and this young man dies. And they're both there in hell, him and his sophisticated, suave friend. And he goes, uh, you goofed, you told me that I was going to, uh, that there was no such thing as hell, that I never had to read a Bible, I didn't, and as he's doing this, you know, the Buzz character reaches over and pulls off a mask like Tom Cruise and it's Satan. Oh, <laughs> he's no. Like, ha, ha, Mission now, impossible. Literally. Ha, ha, ha. Now you're in hell forever and burning because I talked you out of accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Followed immediately by, why aren't you doing this? you got to do it now. you got to do it gotta now. Do it. And, and that is the thing. If you wait till next there week, There is a sense die. of urgency right. in all of these. Like, you could legit die right, right now. Right. And if you have not repented, Mm -hmm. you are fucked forever. And it reminds me of uh, the character in a Dickens novel, the little street urchin who is dying and a doctor is trying to compel him to say the Lord's Prayer for the salvation of his soul and he expires just before he finishes the final line. You're like, oh, God, you go to hell if you send that child. (laughs) You're following right after. That was a a very Dickens manipulative, like, oh no, that child's going to die in hell now. Isn't that what limbo is for? Pre-baptism? Depending on child, I guess. Also, it's the idea they have, um, they have uh, purgatory where you can sort of work your way out, sort of a work-release program. Um, 
which is a very good idea too, because I don't think that just backbiting should be enough or to 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 have you burning for the rest of eternity. It just, I think it takes it's a lot these for small eternity, tiny things that people are doing, and I think that you can learn a lot of the evangelical attitude from meeting these, how really obsessed they are with tiny things, how it sets up the notion that everyone's gonna well. To quote um, uh, Carrie White's mom, everyone's going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. Stay home when you're safe. That kind of thing. There's a lot of that Which feels like his own fear Mm -hmm. made manifest and and given to everyone else. A terribly shy man. And the acting lessons might have been a way of creating another persona that people would like. Um, And this is the way that he got his message out without being on a street corner you know, uh, preaching, yeah, which was so. still uh, I, I don't I don't really see that anymore. Used to see it a lot when I was growing up, and now we I, you would don't. see it on sunny days in uh-huh. Berkeley when we worked. Right, that's true. At Cody's only on sunny Saturdays. That's mm-hmm. why I always said that Jesus was, must be a fair weather friend because right. they would not preach in the rain, but mm-hmm. they would be out there on sunny sun, sunny Saturdays. They were with a bullhorn. Mm-hmm. Yelling at you to get yourself saved. Right. It was great. Every week. So good. So I have a question for you. Sure. And you may, there may not be an answer to this because okay. I understand that this is propaganda. So any background on propaganda is likely more propaganda. Uh, How, did any, has this ever saved someone? I don't know. I'm sure that it has. If not, people would have stopped using it. It's one of those things where is I'm sure it was true. I imagine that I don't think that's would, true. I imagine that somebody's convinced by the power of images over, you know, content or like a really striking picture. I will say uh, that I understand why the comics artists who admired him admired him. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what he wants it to be. Right. He is self-publishing right. a thing that he believes in. Mhm. And is successful at distributing it. And as you pointed out, you could actually admire some of it has a sense of humor yeah, to it. So, and yes, of, and so the right. art is not bad. Right. I still want to light them on fire. <laughs> right, I am, okay. You're not endorsing I Jack Titchin anyway. I am offended by them, mm-hmm. but I understand why an artist could look at this and be like, "This is yeah, right." This is an admirable work. Mm-hmm. What it says is not admirable. Well, Daniel Close, who you know as mm-hmm. uh, David Boring and Ghost World, and who's mm-hmm. a really gifted artist, um, he talked about going and buying, you know, all the new ones when they came out, and just sort of respecting the fact that as kooky as this was, this was the guy's total work, and he knew exactly what he wanted to say, and exactly. he was absolutely certain of it. Yep. You could not shake his conviction that this was the right thing to do. Now, it would be more admirable if you didn't have these very homophobic and at times racist in other directions, um, directions uh, kind of threads to his work, and then when he goes completely off the rails. Um, there was... And that same dinner uh, where I was talking to a friend about growing up with it, there was a, a, a book he did, I think, called The Marriage Mess. Mm-hmm. And it's about uh, um, a missionary. Again, a lot of his heroes are these blonde, chiseled, muscular young men or men. 
So this is a middle-aged man. He's lost his wife in the mission field, and he's come to stay with some relatives. And uh, it's a, uh, a husband and wife, uh, two sons, one very young, and a daughter. And the daughter is sleeping around with local boys in church. The young son is smoking pot, and the uh, father, husband and wife are not sleeping with each other. Hmm. And so this guy comes in and using just biblical principles from his training in the mission field, completely solves all of their problems. And they, at the end of it, he leaves. He literally says, my job is done or my work is done. And then these people go on to be a loving, caring family. You know, the girl starts. And that was, and that's something that we'll cover when we cover abortion as a topic. The, it's very manipulative. Yes. The husband and wife. I mean, I'm sure it was good advice. The the missionary has to sit and explain to the wife, well, maybe your husband isn't sleeping with you because you go to sleep with face cream and curlers every night. You ugly. Maybe if you could prepare him meals and do things like that, it would be better. Wait, and then he talks to the husband and says, well, maybe. I rolled my eyes so hard <laughs> right. that I look like a fucking white walker right. over here. And <sighs> then he says to the husband, stop watching other women on sexy movies on TV late at night when your wife is asleep. Use some deodorant and learn what foreplay is. That actually is a part of the story. I mean, I, which you can get behind, right? It's like, wow, you didn't know. Not all of the, right. uh, not all, not everything's bad. I guess. Right. So, I mean, again, it's just sort of like the fact that when he started his comic book series, it's a black hero and a white hero. So there were things about his work where that were kind of admirable, and then just stuff where he he just goes off the rails. But in that particular book. There's a scene where the young, dishy young daughter get thinks she's pregnant by one of well, the local boys in the church. She's definitely gonna burn in hell. And she he wants to get, but she will. She wants to get an abortion. Okay. And he winds up reading her a journal of an unborn baby, and the unborn baby is saying things like, "Someday I'll be born, and I'll play with my mommy's hair and put it in my mouth, and mommy will say, oh, no, don't do that.' Day twenty-four of the pregnancy. Someday my mommy will take me.'" On a picnic, and we'll play around in the grass and blah, 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 and butterflies. And then day 30, today mommy murdered me. That's actually the line in the book. Holy. And it's, it was Lord. as a kid. You read First that. First of all, 30 <laughs> is very fast to know that you're I'm pregnant. I'm giving an example because I haven't read this I know, but like, okay. But it was just very strange, like the consciousness of this child. And then, you know, the, the, the punchline almost is today mommy murdered me. Um... And the girl is so horrified that she decides she's going to go through the pregnancy no matter what, and then finds out near the end of the, the, the that segment of the story that it was a false alarm, but now she's never going to have pregnancy or never going to have, have sex, sex again until she's married and has a married, committed, or committed relationship and then marriage, right? Don't have sex before marriage. Yeah, because as soon as you're married, you're definitely ready to have a child. Right. I'm not, we're not. So, but <laughs> the reason why I bring that up is that's going to go into our next segment. Yes. Because that was, again, part of the mentality. Today, mommy murdered me. And it's so callously manipulative. You know, it doesn't give any consideration to... Anything. Anything other than this child is more important than you. Yeah. But um, but anyhow, yeah, we can, we'll discuss that yeah. more. But okay, I, so I'm that's... really glad that you got to read these because I, I think it's going to give I'm you... I'm mad at you for making me read no, these. No, but I think that it's going to give you some insight. The next time you see it's people helpful. presenting this attitude... You'll go, if you grew up being indoctrinated by this, this is what you're going to think. Yeah, that's fair. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you liked it, please subscribe and leave us a review and share it with someone you think might like it. 
We have an internet home without workspodcast.com. Our show notes, links to stories we talk about, and transcripts for our episodes can be found there. We are also reachable at withoutworkspod at gmail.com and on Twitter at withoutworkspod, as well as Facebook at withoutworkspodcast. All that information is on the website as well, so go there and have a look around. I've been Lemuel, and she's been Amity, and we urge you to get out there and do something good.